0: Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Please check out our previous episodes with Martine Harapiti and Wilson. Constance Every, Ben Sadagafar, Margaret Kimberly, Jay Carrico, Spike Cohen, and now Jay Clark. Please tell all your family and friends about Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. Enjoy the rest of the show. Good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you are, beautiful people. This is Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I have a very special guest with me right now. He actually got me into podcasting. I never thought I would be here at this particular moment today. Uh, Jay Clark is a car rental owner, a cell rental group, and investor. He has a bachelor's degree in communications from Olivet, Nazarene University, ONU, located in Bourbonnais, Illinois. He has agreed to do a a one-and-a-half-hour interview with Kiko's Freethinkers Forum. He lives in Chicago right now, and he's the creator of Jay Clark, R-E-E-L, Real Mindset. Podcast. He spends most of his time with his two kids and family. Enjoys research in disruptive technologies and has a passion for the advancement of lost African America. And I want to ask him (laughs) about those last two things because I'm not going to, (laughs) and I don't know what the hell disruptive technologies are, and I may seem crazy for that. I don't know exactly what the advancement of lost African America is, but I'd love to hear about it from Jay. But let's just get started, man. You're in Chicago.
1: Yeah, Chicago, really in the suburbs, so I'm about 30 minutes south of the city.
0: Were you born and raised there?
1: Nah, I was born and raised in Kankakee, actually, so that's about an hour. Yeah, that's about an hour south of the city. Um, Okay. So that's my roots, you know what I'm saying? Small town, impacted by Chicago, influenced by Chicago, but landed in the middle for my first career type of deal.
0: How long have you been living in Chicago itself?
1: Chicago land has been two years from me. Um, okay, so I went to I went to college in my hometown, of course, and then right after school, went to Indianapolis for a year. uh moved back to my hometown for a couple years, and then ended up in the south suburbs. You know, what mm-hmm. I'm saying I I wanted to stay back in my hometown, but a lot of the opportunities that I were in the business opportunities, uh, my lady was in school up here, working up here, so things just made sense to stay closer to the city.
0: How, how would you describe like growing up for you as far as um finding yourself in this difficult world and very challenging and um, contradictory world?
1: Man, you know, I grew up as a misfit, any was a, I was a preacher kid, you know, my okay. dad's a pastor. So that was something I had to do. I'm a black kid in America. I'm a rebellious kid in America. So I was always a misfit and I wasn't very, I wasn't a very good student. So all my life I always felt kind of out of place. Um, so I think that naturally made me like being an underdog. I used to be an underdog. So, you know, that's why I fire my foot in that. I like being under pressure. I like, you know what I'm saying? Being in the fire. That's when I seen it at my best. I like being against the odds. Um, uh, so as far as just operating in the world throughout in the, in the free world, you know, all of that is <laughs> coming into my makeup. Um, I I'm fearless, you know what I'm saying? Powerful. That's one of my sayings. Um, I, love through, Fearless, powerful,
2: yes,
0: I love that, man. Fear less, powerful. Straight up. Yes, I love that. I like the way that rhymes. You you talked about owing you a little bit, and we'll get to that in a minute when we talk about HBCUs and just um, an experience at a, a predominantly white institution versus a historical black college and university, and because I'm not even making this up, a lot of people ask me, Kiko, what is that acronym? They don't even know what it means. They don't know what an Mm. HBCU is still. Mm. You know, it's kind of of like the whole thing with Juneteenth, like no one knew what that was and cultural things, I think, that people take for granted that a lot of people just don't, they had never been introduced to it because they haven't had a a need for it to be introduced to them because they've been able to go along the protocol system that's already set up, you know, and so... That's a problem I have with just the word university is because when you talk about um, a Morgan State University, a Tennessee State University, a Jackson State University, a Clark and Atlanta University, those are the black schools. But we don't say that when we talk about University of Illinois, Chicago, those are legitimizes automatically universities, which translates into white schools or universities and black schools are different than white universities. What do you? What's your whole, um, I guess, experience in um, ONU? How do you feel, and how would you segue that into um, how that affected your mind growing up as a kid when it came to that decision going to college?
2: Yeah,
1: and I'll keep it a buck. I didn't know what a PWI was until I went to ONU. I had heard HBCU, you know, throughout my life, but I hadn't heard the phrase PWI until Mm -hmm. I went to a PWI. So, wow, you don't know if they don't know PWI is a predominantly white institution, you know what I'm saying? So, I had no idea of that terminology until I was directly in the environment. Um, and something one of my close friends always reminds me of is we got to be conscious of our own echo chamber. So, if you don't if the people around you aren't using that type of language terminology, it may just be so far outside of your realm that you've never heard it before. So, for example, I wouldn't be upset at a white person who never heard of HBCU. Like, that's not something that they chopping up about at Thanksgiving, you know what I'm saying, about HBCUs, (laughs) but honestly, though, like, throughout my experience, I hate to be this way, but it seems like the HBCU versus PWI, the D1 versus D2, it all comes down to money and power at the end of the day. Um, I, I support HBCUs and I like to see, for example, our top athletes go to HBCUs. And I like that that, you know, wave is starting to really come about, really starting to come to reality. Because if you really look at the history of the PWIs and the popularity that they garnish, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s and so forth. Mm -hmm. It was all based on black people. You know, it was all based on sports. The most popular schools in the country are known for what? Sports, you know, Mm -hmm. aside from the Princeton's of the world and stuff like that. But we're talking LSU, USC, University of Miami, University of Alabama, like Florida State. Look at who really built up these schools and programs to the Mm -hmm. point that they're national, you know, spotlight type of brands at this point, not just colleges. We're talking about brands that like people look to and see as superior in this and that but you got to look at where all that was spurred from you know that wasn't spurred from people getting straight A's and necessarily even going to start businesses at a lot of these schools this was spurred from sports this was spurred from basketball this was spurred from football Mm -hmm. and as soon as they saw that the tv ratings and the media ratings in that in those eras of 70s 80s 90s when they saw the impact that Black people had through sports and entertainment, then they started letting us in those schools. So with the reawakening these days, people getting back into HBCUs, you know, we're bringing that, that glamor back to where it needs to be. Deion Sanders, what are you doing at Jackson State?
2: Mm-hmm. You know what
1: I'm saying? That that type of media attention is what we garnish, and it seems like it's actually coming back home now, which is good, which is great. And
0: who is um, Hugh Jackson's down the Gremlin? Is yeah, and um, Eddie George is a Tennessee State, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so so it's definitely becoming the trend. And um, I'm I I sort of find myself in this situation now being on the job market as a professor of foreign languages. I'm actually looking at the historical black colleges first before I even explore the PWIs because, um, based on my negative experiences that I've had at UT Knoxville, University of Tennessee Knoxville. Middle Tennessee State University was a lot different for me. I got my first two degrees at Middle Tennessee State University mm-hmm. and it was integrated enough to where I could find myself. And I felt like my um, I could be comfortable within my own skin all the time and I could discuss anything politically and then not have ramifications on my development. I felt like at UT it was different. I felt like if I said the wrong shit, that it will have ramifications on my career at UT as a PhD student and a master's student. So Mm. I feel like we have to navigate those things a little bit more, especially when you're socially conscious. And when your ideas aren't necessarily mainstream, I feel like you do have to tiptoe more um, because the university is a hierarchy at the end of the day. It's a structure. It's a political structure. And if you don't fall in line with that political structure, I feel like you can face issues. Mm -hmm. That just that that's what i feel i don't know how you
1: feel about that it's very similar to the corporate world too there's Mm. and it's it's you know it's a thing to like i i try to challenge people especially my age or younger the more rebellious because i i am that i was that so the more rebellious people who see like oh these institutions don't want us there they want to change us we don't fit they want us to conform it's like when you rewind it back, ultimately, this, these are their institutions. So, you know, we can come in with the mindset of they should fit us or they should cater to us or we should feel more comfortable. But at the end of the day, you're walking at somebody else's house sitting at their table and trying to set the menu. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, you gotta eat what they give you. It's that it's their crib, it's their table. They dictate what goes on around us. So you either get in or get left. Um, that's why I love to see the impact of us coming back to the HBCUs, um, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, where we have a little more control, a little more freedom to be ourselves. But if we're going to go the route of going to high school, going to the PWI, going to the most popular school in your state, going to get jobs in their industries, going to get jobs in their companies, then what can we really be upset about when things ain't going our way? Um, I'm, I'm a big, big ownership, you know what I'm saying? Big ownership preacher, big control preacher. And not that it's about ownership, control, power, but I would rather be on that side of pursuing that than accepting what people give us and waiting at the table and wanting handouts, you know, that type of mindset. Mm-hmm. Just how to make a choice, how to pick a lane to go with.
0: I guess my response to that, and I'm actually going to have um, Jared Ball. I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with Jared Ball. Hmm. He um he works with Black Power Media. He is a professor um, of Africana Studies at Morgan State University in Baltimore. Okay. And he he'd been on a few weeks, and I brought you on too as a way to sort of show different sides of the whole HBCU debate because it is becoming the thing where um, even non-Black people the enrollment is really high now for HBCUs. Hmm. And um, Jared Ball's book. I'm actually going to um, bring it up here because it is relevant to what we're talking about. It's called the myth and propaganda of black buying power. And so it's going to kind of go into things we're talking about today. Um, and I think you can see it from several different ways. I I, I think my issue, I would describe myself as an anti-capitalist. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, I don't. I, that's not to say that people can't make their money. That's not what that is. It's simply... Um, I don't agree with the idea that that money itself should dictate power. I feel like not having money shouldn't be a disqualifier of, of not having power. I think you can have power without money. And I think that's where influence comes into play because our experiences contribute to that system. I mean, I don't think you can have rich people without working class people working for the rich people. And I get what you're saying. It's um you have to have someone working for that system. But I guess the question is, where do we find the balance to where the people who are actually running the system, who's really running the system? Is it the worker? or Is it the person who's hiring the worker? Mm. How do those workers not have any power in themselves? I guess would be my question to that. You talk about the university structure. I think about the hip hop industry. You talk a lot about the hip hop industry and look at how it's been co-opted by white people. I mean, look at the, the moguls that run hip hop now and at least commercial hip-hop i don't know about the underground scene but w- what do you think about that situation where the black people started out with this amazing cultural experience and we shared ourselves with the world but look at how it's been commercialized into this multi-billion dollar multi-trillion dollar industry yeah. under the name of geffen or whatever interscope or whatever it may be
1: man that's a lot that's a lot to unpack i ain't gonna lie to you um... I wrote down a couple of things though, as far as you being an anti-capitalist, I would say I'm more of a capitalist, to be honest. So that okay, might be different. No, that's different fine. views we have on that. Um, and I agree with you that money shouldn't be money shouldn't be the ultimate source of power. And I don't I don't believe it is, to be quite honest with you.
2: Okay.
1: Um, I think we get wrapped up in that, where money is only one of the five true components of power, and this is something I live by. Um, so we're talking currency, if we're talking resources money does fall into that category, Mm -hmm. but so does knowledge. So does relationships. So does time. um, So does your health. You know what I'm saying? So money is just one resource. You can accumulate a ton of money and do things with it, do great things with it, impact people with it. Um, Relationships. I don't think I mentioned that, but you can also accumulate a ton of relationships. Mm -hmm. You can also accumulate a ton of knowledge. You can accumulate a ton of time. You can accumulate great health. And those four things as well can have a huge impact on yourself and your environment. So I, I am more of the mindset of a capitalist, but I don't believe capitalism is only based on money. It's also based on your knowledge, your relationships, your time, the Mm -hmm. other resources that you can garnish, you know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. capitalism is real, but the type of resources that you pull from is just a big impact they can make. Now, as -hmm. far as the rap industry, the rap industry is another way at the top it is controlled by the money and they control a lot of what we see you know mm-hmm. i'm i don't have any type of firm evidence on this but this is just what i've seen throughout the years they choose who they put on the mm-hmm. forefront you know what i'm saying it's like yeah. it's almost like who's going to sign the deal to be the character that we need next like I truly look at the rap industry like the WWE, man. Like,
2: <laughs> like for
1: real, like, these are all characters, man. And when you you spoke on the underground, the underground isn't ruled by money, necessarily. The underground is more ruled by relationships, you know, knowledge from a musical standpoint, lyrics, you know, impact, actual, what are you talking about? What audience are you are you catering to? The issues that we see with the underground, right, Especially amongst the youth, the very influential youth, uh, Mm -hmm. the gullible youth, I would say, those people at the (laughs) top who are controlling the scene, right? This both on the male side and the female side. On the male side, you got them talking about death, destruction, um, self-harm, self-hurt, disrespecting our women on the male side. And on the women's side, you got, all you got is, I don't know how, how vulgar we can get. All we got is this, my p. This is Pico's Red is for him,
0: man. You, you can know, be, uh, yeah, uh, let your wings fly out. Look, they <laughs> all,
1: they all selling themselves on the women's side. They all selling themselves for, you know what, but from the underground where you get that the walk, issue is, you know what I'm saying? The, why we had a whole episode whole episode on that but when you see the people in the industry at the top you know what i'm saying being put on for, on front street for this type of behavior for this type of topic and subject matter the people from the underground that see that think that that's the way to get to the top
2: but mm-hmm. that's not
1: the only way to get to the top you can be authentic you can talk about shit that matters you can talk about real impactful positive forward thinking you know what i'm saying topics or you can talk about the bullshit you got two mm-hmm. routes to go um, and it just depends on who's going to be true to self and who's going to be gullible to the industry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause 10 years ago, it was Nicki Minaj and you saw a big, let's get into it. You saw a big bisexual breakout among the, among the women. It was Nicki Minaj back then. Nicki mm-hmm. would, I don't know who was the first to get the BBLs and stuff, but Nicki was involved in that way. So now you got all the women wanted BBLs and I don't, bro, I don't know what, how many women are going to hear this, but. Amongst black circles, amongst black men, we've always loved the black female body. We've always loved the black woman's body. Mm-hmm. The homies not liking the BBLs. So I'm gonna be honest with you, man. The BBLs get laughed at. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey,
0: you 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 may have to clear some of these things up, just the terminologies for, because I have a lot of different audience members who may not uh, understand. That okay, 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 okay. I, I get said, you. No, no, you good. I mean, we can code and stuff, but I'm just saying. A lot of I use a
1: lot of I use a lot of acronyms, and that's good. I am younger good. generation, but BBL, the, I don't even know what it stands for. What does BBL even stand for? But it's, it's the butt, it's the butt surgery, it's the butt mm-hmm. surgery. All the girls getting the butt surgery. Exactly. You know what I'm yeah. saying? The fake booties popping up, this and that. But <laughs> men don't, men don't like it. You know, the men in my group chats, where all the real information happens, we're laughing at that type of stuff, man. Like, yeah, but what, where's
0: that? Where does that come from? The um. Where does the need to do that come from? What do you think that is from? Is that pressure from industry?
1: It's absolute pressure from the industry. And it starts with the hip hop industry, man. Like when it comes to music, hip hop to me, and this is just my understanding of how I've seen it. Hip hop to me is the industry. Rap is the art form. Hip hop is the media. That's the that's the glamour. That's what they put out to the public and try to control narratives with. Rap is the original art form, the poetry, the music. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So the media gets a lot of people confused on what is and what isn't. You got all of these rapper girls and rapper wives getting BBL surgeries and people (laughs) think that's popular and cool, getting butt surgeries. It's just plastic surgery at the end of the day. But people getting all of this stuff, thinking it's cool, it's hip, it's what's up. Men aren't wifing that, you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, women women do that. (laughs) The woman, the woman my age and younger or slightly older than me are getting these (laughs) surgeries and really thinking that that they're that they're raising their value on the on the marital and dating market. That is so far from the truth, man. Like Mm. that is so far from the truth. You're not gonna go get a fake, a fake ass, hop back on the dating scene as a completely new person and expect things to I know, and it is, it's going to be challenging for a lot of people to hear, but that's just no, not realistic. But, but, see, just not but, realistic. What,
0: but what I'm trying to tell you, but see, that goes into my whole thing with capitalism. It's kind of like a base of this forum, Kiko's Freethinkers Forum. Um, it's not to bash people who don't think like we do, per se, mm-hmm. but it's simply, the, it's an anti-establishment network to show people that there are other possibilities and I believe that we've been played for so over time, we've been played so much and we are getting played more than ever today. I mm. don't think you can separate capitalism from the decisions that people have to make to conform to that system. And I, I'm not here to say that capitalism is gonna to die tomorrow. I'm not saying that. Capitalism is here to stay for a long, long time, unfortunately. The version of capitalism that we have is unsustainable in my opinion. It's unsustainable. And I think before you and I are gone out off of this earth and everyone else, I think that there's going to be an uprising that's going to do something about that. That's my personal opinion because it's not going to keep going this way when when the the way homelessness is now, the way people um the gap is just widening between the class structure. That system is not sustainable because you already see that um mentality in the labor market. You can see People are tired of working shitty menial jobs. They are. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a generational thing or what. Um, it's not my issue with the making money thing. Is that the Jay Z type people bother me a little bit? Those kind of people bother me because it's different. JG, you, make, you said Jay z Jay Z. Jay Z. Like Carton uh, uh, Life. Jay Z. Yeah. Okay. Marcy Projects. Jay Z. Because those kind of people, I get it. That's a a, a concrete to the rose to the richest story. And I commend him for that, for getting out of poverty and stuff. But I think black people are so caught up and people in general are too caught up in that. That can be me next. No, motherfucker, that is not you next. There's only gonna be one Jay-Z, okay? But the problem that I have with people like that is then they tell you how to vote. Go vote every two years or whatever. These are the same people who have influenced their power with these same business endeavors. But where we become just more extended products of their endeavors. Mm. They're making their money, but we they can only make money based on if we support them or not, you know, for that next business venture or not. But how's that business venture helping, you know, the poor people out? I know they do things like charitable stuff, but politically, that's a contradiction to me. You can't give money to a community, and then at the same time, advocate for a system that goes against that community's objectives when you talk about just the whole system itself the way people think because they don't tell you that you you can't think this way they tell you you can think the way you want but we see what happened with capital we see what happens when you go too far and then you have everyone else that comes in line i feel like jay-z is a person he's all of a sudden become the black business spokesperson for black america just like Al Sharpton is the Black spokesperson for political Black America. why We we seem to be the only group that has a handful of motherfuckers where they seem to represent the whole group or at least the media projects it that way and weaponizes it to where they represent the whole group of us. And, and that's what I guess my issue would be with Jay-Z. And it's not even Jay-Z's fault per se. It's just the way the system props him up now. And he's just visible all the time. It's about the black power couple, him and Beyonce. But how many people can realistically be that?
1: Yeah, and it's it's the rags to riches thing. We know where Hope started at. We know where Jay-Z started at. And because of where they put him at, people see him as almost the end goal in a way. So a lot of people take rap as a way, as a means to get there. Or they'll take the streets as a means to get there. Let's be honest, that's where he started at. Hov is ultimately a businessman. He is a capitalist. So when he saw that there was a need for drugs and he could get access to them, he provided the drugs, whether it was right or wrong. When he saw there was a need for rap and he could provide that, he did that. When he saw there was a need for businesses and he could provide that, he did that. But it doesn't make it necessarily right. And the one spot mentality is what shoots us in the foot. And the craziest part about a lot of this, right? We tell our kids now, you know, conscious people will tell your kids don't get so wrapped up in playing football don't get so wrapped up in playing basketball there's only a certain number of spots in the league there's 32 nfl teams Preseason, 75 players per roster regular season i believe is 53 there's Mm -hmm. 30 nba teams full roster is 15 playing day roster is 12 that's about i think 2,500 in the nfl i can't Think an NBA number, but it's like twelve hundred, fifteen hundred. Twelve hundred, yeah. So at least it's broad, you know. Can we name four thousand rappers? You know, can we name five thousand <laughs> rappers? Hell no. So what are we really pushing to people that there's so many people rapping? But it's a high risk, low reward business. It's a high mm-hmm. risk, low reward adventure opportunity. What's really, what's really the end goal of being a rapper? Are you going to be Jay Z, or are you going to end up shot and dead in the street? Are you gonna end up broke as hell? Are you gonna end up in jail because you're following the bullshit that the media is putting out at the top?
2: Mm-hmm. What's
1: really the end goal of rap? Like there's only f- right. five, six rappers that are relevant and everyone's trying to be them. Five, there's five or six slots that they that the media has put out there as mm-hmm. these are the rappers that are on the four scene. But we got millions upon millions upon millions of black young Americans pursuing that same dream. The numbers just don't make sense. You know mm.
0: what I mean. Yeah, I, I get that for sure. It's just um, it's a struggle that I have because in the NBA it's the same thing. as pre- these predominantly black leagues, or at least the players are, are more black. Not necessarily the ownership. It's um, they do this shit all the time. They basically say, in a low key way, we're we're a Democrat Party organization. We fund the money for the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. and some other leagues may be. We phone the money to the Republican Party. You know, I don't know. It may be NASCAR or whatever the hell it is. Do, I don't, do people not see that connection between the power structure and the the product that they're watching on the television? Do they not see that connection? Because that's
1: what i I haven't thought, about that. I haven't thought what, about that
0: myself. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's just like, I like LeBron. I love LeBron James. But I don't want the motherfucker represent me politically because I'm not LeBron James. I'm Kiko and you're mm. Jay Clark. It's like, why do we put so much stock into these people when it comes to our lives? We're working class people grinding every day. Why do we fucking care what Taylor Swift says? I mean, I don't, I mean, I have nothing fucking common with her. Why do I care what LeBron says? Why do I care what Olivia Rodrigo says? Why the fuck do I care what Ariana Grande says? Like, why do people put so much stock into what these celebrities? That's what I'm saying. It's not that they can't just listen to the music. They believe these motherfuckers politically and all that, it's like, there's like no sort of pushback.
1: I was trying to phone a friend. There's a... I was trying to phone a friend. There's, I can't think of the political figure. She's not even a politician, but she's a black lady. She's married to a white man. Um, And she recently went on air with Candace Candace Owens. I got, my friend phoned me. My friend phoned me, Candace Owens. (laughs) So she recently went into with DJ Academic. She did an interview with him, uncut, off the cuff, all real, all authentic. I loved it. But one of the things she spoke on that I was very passionate about during Joe Biden's run at presidency, we know what he said if, if you, if you black, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. We know I mean, that.
0: you black, man. You are, you know.
1: We know that, Bar. But <laughs> this man, this man and his administration had the audacity the audacity, a slap in the face to me and everybody who looks like me, the audacity to go grab Cardi B. Cardi B as Mm -hmm. a representative of the Black culture, the Black Mm -hmm. community and did an interview with her. Mm
2: -hmm. Cardi
1: B, dog. So these are the type of people that we're putting on the front scene to represent our culture. There Mm -hmm. is no culture, man. If she's representing Black culture in America, there is no culture. You know, Mm -hmm. straight up. like, And that goes back to the intro. That goes back to Lost Blacks of Africa. Like, we are a lost a lost community. We are a lost family in this nation. Mm-hmm. Now, you can get free. That's a that's an indiv- individual choice. Um is the whole entire community, the whole entire body of people going to one day wake up and be free and move forward progressively together? Probably not realistic, but as an individual, you have the power to take back what's yours and that's through knowledge, understanding, research, experience, knowing where you came from, you know, following the most high stand in your word and doing the things you need to do to to really get attached to the spirit. But we can't we can't let Cardi B, Cardi B be the representative of of black people, yet alone black women let like, anyone you know, be
0: a representative. That's what that's my point.
1: There we, is can't no let, co- yeah.
0: we can't let Jay-Z or any of these people, but I mean none of them. It's just why are people that weak to where they have to look up to people like what makes you think that these people have credentials to tell you how to dictate your situation. And that's why I go back to again, it's a class issue because it's um the professors that I deal with. It's like they're all, it's like we're all in a club. And I'm not, I'm in that club, but my mind is not in the club with them because they the people that they're trying to reach, they say that they're trying to reach the black people, the LGBTQ people, the poor people. They hmm. say that in print when they publish these articles. But they're really talking to just an elite class of people in that academic space, and I feel like it's the same thing with all this stuff we're talking about—the commercialization of images. I don't, yeah. it oh, I don't think you can be Ooh, relevant. A, I don't. I've think never heard
1: be. that's that's so true. The commercialization of images is literally the BBL movement. I'm just put that in a yeah, pharmaceutical. I, the they are making a lot of money off of it. Say that I
0: don't think you can be. I don't think you can be. A person that visible and be threatening to the system and they allow you to be a part of that system I think they have to take you out that's why I'm skeptical of anyone I'm even not skeptical of people like Cornell West people mm. who are supposed to be these um civil rights giants advocates and I know some of my listeners may be caught up guard by that but even to the left or the right, it doesn't matter if it's Candace Owens or Cornel West or any of these people. I just think we have to question people who at a certain point get so big or people really allowing them to get their voice to amplify like that.
1: You talking about Kanye? Kanye?
0: No, no, I'm talking about Cornell West. Um, Cornel he's a scholar, he's an activist. He, he's advocated for, for Black rights for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, think of, you, you've you heard of Angela Davis used to be a Black Panther. Yeah. These kind of people now, are almost tamed compared to the way they used to be back in the day when they were in the streets. But I understand they're older now, they're not going to have the same energy like they used to, mm. but they are, um, they're visible now, but they're accepted by the status quo now when they were shit on 30 years ago. So why are they all of a sudden accepted now by the power brokers? That's what makes me question them. It's like, because to me, if you're, you're not a threat if they allow you to get in the system, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. To me, the fact that JB, Jay-Z is so big means that he's really not a threat to anything but just growing the capitalistic system more. And nobody else that's going to combat that system is really going to I – mean, he's, he's part of it to the point where he's done his work and he's not a threat to anyone else. As long as they make their money, they're fine. But when it comes to actual power to working class people, Jay Z's almost disconnected from that now. I feel, but I don't know. I may be yeah. completely wrong in rambling, but it's, it's just- like it's
1: like it's like leading leading pigs to the slaughter type of deal. And I yeah. I understand your viewpoint where if they're allowing him to stay in that type of power, then he's aiding what they're doing in a way.
0: Like it's what like- would Tupac be like now if Tupac was still alive? I guess.
1: And historically, historically, no matter how big you get as a black man in America, as soon as you threaten what they got going on, ousted, whether that's your power come, your comeback, your visibility comes back, or you may be, you know what I'm saying? Guantanamo Bay, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) You never know, bro. Um, Jay-Z is, I could see see your mindset on that. I don't agree with it
2: completely, Right. Um,
0: I know that's your boy, like hub, like that's your guy. Oh oh, my boy, you know what I mean? I know. And and, and it's not even, I have nothing personal against Jay-Z. It's just it's more the symbolism. It's just like Obama. It's the same thing. It's not even, I don't hate Barack Obama or hate Jay-Z. I just don't like the way the image is used. And I don't Mm. know if they realize the effects that they have on people because they're leading these people to this false sense of like. Empowerment when they're really not empowering anybody, I don't
1: think. I'm with I'm with anybody who's building their own table. I say that much. Okay.
0: Hope
1: hope has some capitalistic type of conquering, conqueror type of, you know, what I'm saying traits and characteristics, but I would rather align my mindset. This is me personally, we are all individual. I'd rather align my mindset with a hove than someone who's just waiting for handouts, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I got I'm, you. Okay. I'm, I'm going to make the table for, for myself and my family. I'm going to have mm-hmm. to make the table. I don't want to sit at the table because I want to I want to make the rules. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I want to control the agenda. I want things to be in my favor for my people and my family and my community. That mm-hmm. I do. I truly do. So anything I can do to establish that, I tend to I tend to align with it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you asked the, ask the question, how can we... How can we let the media dictate, you know what I'm saying, what we do, how we feel? It's because we don't know who the hell we are, you know, and that's that's where the freedom comes from. And that's the individual choice. When you get the knowledge and the understanding of who you are, this media can't tell you to go get a damn surgery to make your ass bigger. It can't tell you to go rap like this, go talk about destruction and killing people in your community Mm. because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't click. It's not. It's not going to resonate with you when you can stand on something, when you have principles. Like, if we let the media tell us exactly how to think, what to do, how to speak to our own people, it's because we don't know how ourselves. And that's where it starts. It starts with the knowledge, the education, the realization. And to be, to be alive, to wake up, you have to realize at some point that you're sleeping and dead. You know, you have to really, really intake, like, look yourself in the mirror, like, you have to really consider are you alive? Are you making choices in life? Are you making decisions for yourself and for your family? Or are you truly being impacted by everything around you? Mm-hmm. And not just the media. Not just the media. We talking about your job. We talking about the people around you affecting your emotions. We talking about, keep it a buck, someone's need to pursue a, a degree, a title, a, a position, a, a position in in politics, like. Mm -hmm. I'm a person who I've had, I never even spoke about this publicly, but I've had groups from my hometown, um, people in politics in my hometown wanted me to take that step into that realm. I've had aldermen from the town I live in, from the neighborhood I live in, wanted me to take that step in politics and be more involved in that realm. And I just never, I never saw a fit for it, man. Like I said, I'm a misfit. I'm my pops is a, is a fraternity, you know. Um, I've had all types of people come at me and want to attach me to certain communities and whatnot, but I just see it all as a bunch of bullshit, From being honest, man. Mm-hmm. Let's keep a bunch of bullshit. Like, I'd rather be an individual and just stand on principles that I've learned from the Most High, stay in my word, not get attached to all this human galore and glitz and glamor and how you should be, how you shouldn't be, like, I can't listen to someone who doesn't even know who they are themselves. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you if you're influenced by the exterior, why am I going to listen to you about who I should be? <laughs> you, you don't even know who you are, so how can you tell mm-hmm. me who I should be? You know, I just
0: I do yeah. I do like that idea with the individual, the collective thought versus the individual thought. You have to be your own person at the end of the day, um, and it's a tough it's a tough um, situation it takes a lot of courage to find who you are as a person, especially when you come from, um, you know, maybe not necessarily an encouraging environment. And um, I'm not saying that you come from that environment or myself. It's just, um, I I think it's the psyche of some of the average people that we're talking about now is that that stereotype that these people are just going with what the flow is, you know, the, the new trend or whatever that is. We discussed this. In your podcast in um a few years ago about how we were both kind of um outsiders in a sense that um we both agree that this political uh, structure that's here now um with the two-party system is absolute bogus. Like I, yeah. I think with me and you came to that conclusion. I'm wondering yeah. how did you come to your conclusion? Like, how do you kind of get that thought process, you know? from a different perspective, and I got my perspective too. How do we both come to that decision?
1: Yeah, the simplest phrase I can use is both wings on the same bird. They (laughs) they talk about left wing, right wing, and blue and red, like (laughs) these all come from the same makeup, you know? And first of all, the, the Declaration of Independence was written in 1776. Seventeen seventy six, and this is the document that we are still going off of. If a business, <laughs> if a business had existed for two hundred something years and they were still going off the original business plan with no innovation, what are we talking about? You know. And then, and then, as far as our social and political structure, I use this. I use this phrase all the time, but this this analogy all the time. Everything that we discuss when it's built on brittle ground, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a business whether it's a building, a house, if it doesn't have solid foundation, eventually we know that it's going to crumble. So we are on the foundation of a a document that was written in 1776, when we weren't even seen as human beings. Mm -hmm. And we're still still operating off of this document. And people wonder why our mindset and our psyche is all messed up. Like we aren't, that document was not written for us. We all know this Mm -hmm. and we're still operating under it. It's like, You just people are just sheeps and just like going through the flow and kind of just acting like things are okay. The the USA is acting like things are okay. Like everything's gonna be okay. We can come out of this. We can bounce back from this. Make America great again. The shit shit was never set up right in the first place. So you know, there's the people who are gonna look at it and be like, oh, this is America. Everything is great. But then there's when people look at it like, yo, let's look at the reality of the situation. The shit was never set up right. We never had equality. We still don't have equality, and the gap is getting wider. You know, the gap is just getting wider. So we got a lot of work to do, man. We
0: we really do, man. Um, and and maybe it's just that simple. I wish a man. I tell you, I wish a lot of people thought like you, Jay Clark, when it came to that. Um, two wings on the same bird. It's just um, these motherfuckers are really just fighting to um. They're fighting just to justify against their bullshit. Like they have no principles. At all. I, honestly most of my friends identify with these wings. Mm. And I'm saying to myself, okay, tell me your principles. Like what are your principles going in? And we tend to agree on some of the same stuff, but it's, it's never consistent. Because just like what happened, um, I was on a friend last night with the Gaza um Israel situation, you know, Palestine. I mean. The way the Palestinians are getting bombarded just all the time. Um, but the media is talking about Russia and Ukraine. It's just um both of these parties fund the wars. They fund mm. the war operations. Mm. They fund the crooked pharmaceutical industry. and then mm. and then they wonder why so many that da- goddamn people were concerned. Mm. It wasn't just Maga Trump people worried about the VAX. People like me, a lot of Black people worried about too. that weren't a fucking Democratic or Republican. But they make it seem like just the Trump retards were the only people who were against the VAX. And that's bullshit completely. But see, that's how people, when you get programmed to think that only a certain group of people think a certain way, that's how you get fucked and you get duped. And I'm telling people, a lot of people are against the establishment, this system, it needs some work, some serious work, the police system. This is a police state we're living under right now. And both of these parties, what did they do? They give more money to the police, they give more money to the military. And that's what—that's how I kind of came to my conclusion that these are the same two people. You know, regardless of this shit, oh, I love black people, I hate black people, all that shit, the culture shit is like, whatever. But these, it's like, if you can't even agree with these four things, that tells me that both of y'all are full of shit.
1: The political structure is, is screwed, man. It's, 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 it's messed up. And what's the most unfortunate part about the whole thing, to kind of wrap up the at least the political structure, I see it falling completely apart than ever coming together. I don't,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, things happen in, in, in nations, and in history, you know, as things evolve. I don't see the United States of America existing for another 100 years. Oh, I really God. don't. Hell no. I would say hell no, um, I don't think it's realistic at all. I do see some type of political upheaval, revolt type of situation where there's going to be a split. If there's if there's 50 states in the United States in a hundred oh. years, I would be very surprised, very surprised. Whether it's California seceding, Texas seceding, whether they split it up East and West, whether there's 50 individual colonies, the the organized colonies of America, I don't know, but the United States of America never existed. That phrase is bullshit. The United <laughs> States of America? When have all 50 states been on the same page? You, and you you never lie. Just bullshit.
0: the way this state has completely different voting rules than this one. You're right. The fucking bullshit electoral voting system. But they shame the hell out of you if you don't vote, or if you don't vote for that team. And it's it's not even set up universally. So why, if the the whole thing seems like it's just a complete rigging charade, it's just yeah, um, yeah. they're gonna do what they want to do anyway. It's like, yeah. does it really matter at the end of the day? Like For smoke I totally screen. A <laughs> <For> smoke <laughs> screen,
1: man. United States of America, should, It's laughable. It's honestly but laughable. Who do
0: y'all got up there now? Um, in Chicago is the Lightfoot. She's the mayor.
1: Yeah, Lightfoot. Uh,
0: tell me a little bit about um, Chicago. What's his I've always been conflicted by Chicago, man. My whole introduction Mm. to Chicago, not even going to lie, I've been up there about six times. And I think about baseball when I think of Chicago. And I hate the Chicago Cubs, not because I don't like white people, but every white person that I've ever met in my life has only been a Chicago Cubs fan. (laughs) I've always said to myself, god damn, don't they have the White Sox in the same city? Is it or White socks just the black team and the Cubs the white team? That's kind of the perception I get. Like, am I off it's on funny. that?
1: Nah, and that's that's actually it's true. It's it's true. Most most Cubs fans that you meet will be white folks. Most Sox <laughs> will be black folks, and it comes from the what's the word? It's just it's a geography. It's a geography thing. To be realistic, the White Sox stadium was on the south side. The Cubs okay. stadium is on the north side in Wrigleyville. The yeah. uh, you know what I'm saying? The makeup is different. And where the Cubs Stadium is, Wrigleyville is a very um Upscale. prominent area. I was upsc- you know what I'm saying? Upscale, mm-hmm. downtown, near the lake, you know, very commercialized, whereas the south side is where we were pushed to. <laughs> and the stadium uh-huh. that was built there was more so probably, I don't know the the, the specifics on it, but it probably was very cheap land and they, you know, it made sense to build it right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where kind of that you know, split comes from, I think, at least the origins of it. And over time, you know, the Sox are in this neighborhood, the Cubs are in that neighborhood, and the fan base just grew from that.
0: It's just weird as hell, because I know the Cubs are big down here, because they used to always show the Cubs games on WGN, and Mm. the people in Tennessee would get the Chicago WGN network. We would get that, so they would always show the Cubs games. Like, I kind of get why my friends here like um, the Cubs, but I'm th- white people everywhere. It's like, dude, what the fuck is, I mean, those motherfuckers, they suck for like a 100 years. And I'm like, you still cheering for those sorry bastards? And <laughs> it's it just, I always wonder why did they care so much about the Cubs, you know? But I guess that makes a little bit more sense geographically. Maybe it's that simple. Going to this whole notion of the South Side, though, what is the South Side of Chicago? Is it yeah. because it's portrayed one way in the news? How is it really to you from your vantage point?
1: Oh, um, that's, that's so deep. And I, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't grow up in Chicago. I don't want to get checked by my homies. I got
0: <laughs> most, most of
1: my homies are from Chicago at this point. That I speak to on a daily basis. And we, we talk about the city. You know what I'm saying? I know the city, I'm plugged with the city, but the South side is split up. You know what I'm saying? You got the South side, let's say the sixties through the, through the nineties, say, I do going to mention specific streets. Then you got the wild hunters. You got the hunters that lead up to the suburbs. So, between the hundreds and the streets up until about the 60s it's a lot of stuff going on you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. um chicago is built up in pockets where you can have a neighborhood a block that's very nice very well kept you know what i'm saying nice renovated upkept properties that may have been gentrified over the last 20 years or so but you have those pockets and streets that are nice you might go two blocks over and things are a little rougher over there. There might be a couple of shootings over there every other week or so. So when you in Chicago, you just have to know where you are. Like not just the, not just the neighborhood you are, but the streets you are. Um, The media maybe overplays it, but I can't act like there's not violence in Chicago. I used to try to kind of play, play, I'll say God's advocate. I like to use the words devil's advocate, shout out 19 keys, but I play God's advocate (laughs) in the past where it's like, oh, there's not as much violence in Chicago as portrayed, but truthfully, realistically, there is violence in Chicago, you know, because there's a lack of resources in certain areas, neighborhoods and communities. When you strip away high schools from a neighborhood and kids gotta travel 20 minutes to go to school, historically in Chicago, where you're closing down entire schools, public schools, and kids had to travel to go to school, Some kids ain't going to make it, you know? Some kids ain't Mm going to make it to school and they're going to resort to the street. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: my thing with these type of conversations is, yes, there's violence, there's turmoil, even in my hometown, man, Even in Kankakee, which is, at this point, baby Chicago. Like, And when I say baby Chicago, there's people from my hometown who pursue that type of image, you know, pursue that type of street galore image. And I'm not saying it in a positive way. I'm saying we're baby Chicago where, we're a small pocket of people where there's a, just a ton of violence and hate and turmoil. But in the same breath, when you strip away resources from a people, when there's no, you know, path to the future, there's no positive outlook on where they can go. They don't have the things in the echo chamber that they can build and make their own table. They have to accept what they're given. Mm-hmm. People just gonna, it's it's a certain click. It's like the mind is so powerful, man. When you feel like the world is against you and you ain't got no resources, no way to go forward. You just, you turn into an animal. You act like a savage, you know, you know different than a, a wolf in a wild or a wolf in a wild, a lion in a wild or a deer in a wild, a deer in headlights where you don't even know what to do. You just running around with nervous energy and anxiety with cars flashing in the headlights figuratively. You know what I'm saying? That You really resort to a wild animal. And it's the wild at that point. You either a deer, you a lion, you know what I'm saying? You a rat, you a snake. You're <laughs> taking away real consciousness from people and turning them into animals. And then we can only behave like that.
0: You and know, what, so. What do you think is the biggest um, contributor to that, um, this, I guess, demoralizing and to the demise of people? It's
1: the idea that you can't succeed ultimately. It's, okay. it's the fear It's the fear that you can't succeed in, ultimately, this capitalist society. Um, it's the fear of, of, of missing out, the fear of being left out, that there's only one spot, that there's only one Jay-Z, there's only one LeBron James. If I can't right, be him, right. then I have to resort to the bullshit. It's like, mm-hmm. we got to just open up our mind. Um, and, yeah. and we'll, let me circle back to the intro again. Um, something I wrote in the little bio, I spoke about disruptive industries and That's something I love to research—just future industries that are going to be impacted. We can even talk about—I don't want to go too deep into it, but even like robots, man. Like robots are are real. People want to joke about the shit, like oh, there's people being replaced in artificial jobs, art, AI, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But this this stuff is real. People going to have robots in their houses, like cars, like oh yeah. I use Tesla, for example, because we're in the robot realm. When Teslas mm-hmm. first came out, you know, you saw them in spots. You'll see them here, you'll see them there, you'll see them on TV, maybe in a movie. But now you start to see more and more and more and more to the point where Tesla is, is starting to be a very normal car. You know, it's a very normal thing in the auto industry. That's going to be the same with robots. I mean, hell,
0: people, the cars are the robots,
1: aren't they? Realistically, I mean, <laughs> people, people are going to be taking out loans to buy these robots that can improve their life. You know, if a robot is washing your dishes, you know I'm saying I know this is far fetched for some people, but if a robot is washing your dishes, folding your clothes and vacuuming your floor, that's going to start to come into reality. Um, Mm -hmm. So when I when I speak of disruptive industries though, and I know that's far fetched when we get all the way to AI, all the way to robots, but I wanted to take it there to show people what's really happening. We got to There's nothing wrong with barbershops. I love my barber. I got two that solid. I've had two people cut my hair the last eight years. I won't go away from them. I love my barbershops. I love my beauty salons. I love my chicken spots. I love my my, my natural oils and, and all that stuff. But when we go into opportunity, when we go into business, when we go to make the table, we have to think bigger. We have to think bigger. If we're really going to start making an impact and being free, and this is about making tables. That's just all I can think of. That's all I can speak on myself. Is about making businesses where we're not sitting and begging for acceptance and likeness and please be nice to me. Please do things my way. When we're starting to make these tables, we just have to think bigger. You know, open up our minds to different industries, different types of businesses, um, different locations of businesses. You don't always have to open in a hood when you're pursuing your your own individual freedom. I'm from Kankakee, you know, I will do business in Kankakee. I would love to do business in Kankakee. I would love to have real estate in Kankakee, but I can also have real estate in Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee. There's other ways to get involved to set your own self free so you can help impact your community further. You don't have to do it the way that you've always been taught to do it. Just think a little broader. Like There's so many opportunities out here. And this all relates to, to disrupting industries. There's so many, so many, so many opportunities out here. And we just gotta stop getting wrapped up in what we've seen in the past and just get a little more creative, you know? Just get a more little more innovative. creative. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Innovation is, um uh, that tends to be, that seems to be the way we're headed. Um, Especially I think after the early nineties when the tech boom really took off, it's, all, it's just continued ever since then. Um, the explosion of Apple and, and all these multinational companies.
1: Um, let me, and two, let me, furthermore, furthermore, and I'm just, I'm, I'm a young, I'm a, I'm a young brother, man. And I've, I've studied, I've studied our people to a point where I'm starting to gather knowledge where I'm confidently speaking about this stuff publicly. We are two generations removed from, if the slave owner caught you learning, they cut your tongue out. You know what I'm saying? So it's deeper than the surface. It's deeper than the surface. This stuff is psychologically embedded in us, our blood. Like, We are two generations removed from the slave master caught you learning, they cut your tongue out. So even when you do learn something progressive, it's hard to speak on it. There's mm-hmm. fear involved. Oh, if I if I say this, people might get offended. If people aren't ready to move that you're trying to impact, they may take offense to it. So it's like, even when you learn knowledge that you want to share, sometimes there's fear involved in that. Do I want to speak on that now? Do I want to speak on that on this platform? Who am I going to offend with this type of notion and behavior? Because Uh, in the past, when you spoke on certain things, there there was recommendation to it. There was punishment to it, you know? So the slave owner caught you learning, they cut your tongue out. Like that's that's not, that shouldn't be taken lightly. That's still in our blood. That's still
0: in our psyche. And we got to shake that like immediately. <laughs> immediately. No, it, sh- it shouldn't be accepted. You know, I want to get back to that notion about husband two or three generations removed from um, servitude. Or, or are we still continuing the servitude just in different ways? I was thinking about the whole, the, this censorship age that we're into now. Uh, I, I think the internet has become, me personally, I believe that the internet is a public utility. I think it's a tool for everybody. Um, If you have enough people on, I mean, it seems like everyone these days has internet access. Mm. And it's almost like, it's the speaker's corner, you know, because they have a speaker's corner in the UK where people can just go up and debate and have conversations with people in an open square. Well, I feel like the internet is that open square now everyone goes everyone has something to say on the internet now it seems like yeah. um I do get the the people who say that these are private companies though they can tell you what to say they can tell you what not to say but I mean it's getting out of control now man like I they took down one of my videos yesterday you know I, I knew you saw mm, my post on there I seen it, seen it yeah. and I'm just like dude I I just started this podcast six weeks ago like I, I'm not a threat you know I don't think I am
2: Mm.
0: So but but they're doing that to a lot of these independent channels to where you have to codify words a certain way. You can't say things just out and about. And I'm just like, why is that? Um like why is that such a big deal? You know, why can't people express themselves? And I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: It's the it's the it's the table thing, man. I ain't gonna lie, like. When I saw it, when I saw your post, uh, when I saw your post, I was like, well, what do you think I said? It is their platform. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I feel it. I feel it because I've been impacted by that through social media channels where I'll speak on something rash or I'll make a post rash and they're picking up on this stuff. Like they, they're tracking our audio. When you upload a video to YouTube, they're tracking your audio for words and taking inscriptions and seeing what you're saying. So they don't, they don't want you to talk about certain stuff. So they'll simply won't allow you to get the spotlight to do so mm-hmm. until you make your own platform, until you, until you have your own audio platform where you can put out the information and send that directly to your audience. We have to abide by the rules. And there's terms and conditions that we agree to that nobody reads typically <laughs> that mm-hmm. that give them the right to do so. So unless we're speaking on our own platform
2: Mm-hmm. We can't
1: we can't really, you know what I'm saying, be upset with the with the ramifications that we face. Um, that's that's truly how I feel. And I'm a I'm a victim of it too, where mm-hmm. I don't even like to, I don't even we post all are. on Facebook. I don't even post on Facebook anymore because it's like mm-hmm. I my thoughts, my thought, and even that this is live on Facebook right now. My thoughts don't align with a majority of the people on Facebook. Or even maybe they do, but they don't align with the algorithm of Facebook, where the information that I speak on isn't allowed to be shared on that platform. And I know that I don't even necessarily promote my podcast on Facebook because I know that the topics I discuss don't align with what Facebook wants people to see. Mm-hmm. And the people who are stuck on Facebook, unconsciously align with that mindset anywho like
2: mm-hmm.
1: if Facebook tells you to vote for so-and-so more than likely you're going to vote for so-and-so people on mm-hmm. Facebook ask for politics the first one you see is the one that's going to be stuck in your head so it's mm-hmm. like it, it's, it's their platform I can never be upset or even surprised at being removed because I know how I am and I know that I'm disaligned with what they got going
0: on. Same go here. Yeah. I feel you, man. I, I, I get, I get that. It's just, I think it's a thin line. Um, because considering that YouTube and Google are basically the same company, YouTube has contracts with the government. And, um, which like makes said,
1: them the, which makes them the government, which, <laughs> Essentially. Is,
0: but see that, which is, um, again, there's no, there's no stopping it. Once that happens, once that merge happens, um, the consequences could be catastrophic. You know, hopefully they don't get too catastrophic, but I, I knew what was going to happen with that. I, I was shocked that that video was taken down. Hmm. But that's why I don't promote YouTube, because of that reason, because YouTube and Twitter are the worst. Facebook yeah. is a close third. And so that's why um, I know that people are fucking with Rogan with the Spotify shit, but the, I fuck with Spotify because at least um, they will tag you with the CV19 if you talk about the, the virus or anything. Like they will sometimes put a disclaimer up, but for the most part,
2: mm. they're not going
0: to just throttle your views and your clicks and your plays. Visibility. Fucking, but but YouTube is, is slick fucking with everybody's visibility and stuff like they're taking people's streams and stuff off. And I think that's some bullshit like personally, like, if you're going to do it, do it, but don't be fucking that sly about it, you know what I'm saying? But like you said, it's that platform, but they have contracts with the government and what's public anymore, what's private anymore, it's just like, I don't know, it, I feel like it's just a constant, moving situation, like it's never consistent, you know, and I just, I just need, just tell me the rules straight up motherfucking, I'll follow the rules, but and I'll go outside of the parameters if I have to, you know, in other ways, but you know if if you have a rule you know set the rule but don't have this ambiguous community guidelines and it's like what the fuck is that you know let's be let hey, I, I, I don't know
1: let's be real it's it's like driving while black you know <laughs> uh <laughs> you make a let's say you're in a neighborhood you're in a neighborhood turning right and there's a cop at the stop sign to your right you might speed through that stop sign and not come to a full stop you catch eye contact with them and when I'm in my head I'm in a white neighborhood you catch eye ta- eye contact with them as a white a young white boy he might let you slide by you catch eye contact with them as a young black boy you probably going to get pulled over like there's mm-hmm. certain things that are allowed by certain people that aren't allowed by the others you know mm-hmm. you might get a slap on the wrist a slap on the wrist for a young white boy might be a night in jail for a young black boy there's just Jamal and Jamal and Jack don't get the same type of treatment.
0: <laughs> Jamal and Jack. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's different. It's a different setup, man. And I can only be real, bro. <laughs> only be real with it.